Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. It's easy to end up overworked. You start out responding to a reasonable need for a little more work to be done after hours. Then suddenly it's five years later and you work 65 hours a week until your health and personal issues force you to stop. In this episode, we're going to discuss ways of getting your work-life balance back in control so that you don't ruin your life with work. But before we get started, Will, what's been unbalancing you this week? Uh, well, actually, I have a lot less work than normal. It's I forget what the holiday is, but there's about 10 days of it going on in China right now, which means my Russian teacher is not teaching classes because that makes the internet unreliable when that's going on, apparently. Um, from you know, Tenzin. And so I don't have the normal amount of stuff going on right now. And so I'm actually like doing a whole lot of personal stuff. Like I'm, I'm organizing recipes and I'm like just all the stuff I had on the back burner I'm doing this week. Uh, you know, getting all my, um, like bank stuff set up in mint, you know, writing scripts for backups. <laughs> and it's because it, it's like it's really hard for me to uh, and this is why we uh, wrote this episode it's really hard for me to downshift to less workload it's not so much the downshift that gets me it's the upshift that i know has to happen the week after and uh so i'm, I'm trying to stay busy when i really don't have to so that's what i'm doing this week yeah i i totally get that that's why i try to get up at the same time every morning yeah even same here i have to I've been doing that here lately, even getting up like 5.30 on Saturdays some. Mm-hmm. And I, I have so much better of a day when I do that. Yeah, absolutely. Makes perfect sense. How about you? Yeah, I uh, had a midterm. That was, uh, whew, that was a lot of work. Midterm was over. Uh, so I'm taking advanced networking, grads, uh, graduate level advanced networking. And this was over the first three chapters in the book, Introduction to Networking and the Internet, Application and Transport Layers. We were given three hours to take this midterm of 12 questions. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Where this is going to be. Uh, I finished in two hours and 20 minutes and had some time to review it, so that was nice. That was a beast. Yeah, honestly, I'm a little fried. Some of the questions weren't too difficult. Like some of them were almost gimme questions, but then some of them were like, I, I, because we had to turn in our work. So I had to like write out my work and then scan it in and send it in. But like I have this graph paper here and some one question might have taken up the entire page of graph paper. Um, just the calculations. And then I'd have to do like the write up explaining it. So is it like subnet masks and that kind of stuff or like what, what kind of calculations? So we're at more more transport layer stuff. So estimated delays, uh, estimated round trip times, oh. um, that sort of stuff, you know, like uh, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of that. Hang on, do I have it around here? 
yeah, I have some notes I took on it. And then there was stuff like, you know, write a bunch of paragraphs, like compare and contrast multiplexing and demultiplexing was one of them. And I'm like, for real, there's not a whole lot to that, but all right. Yeah. Things like, you know, distribution time on a peer-to-peer network mm, for a okay. file of a certain size, that sort of stuff. Yeah, because my college networking class didn't quite get that far. Of course, you're in a master's level. So that's... Yeah. And I think I kind of wonder sometimes how much of that was actually around, you know, 20 years ago, uh, you know, at, at a level where they felt like they had to teach it to university. Because a lot of ours was just like, hey, figure out why this wire doesn't work or why we can't get a packet from point A to point B. Yeah, that makes sense. So in better news, I'm getting to do some more creative stuff at church. I'm learning how to set up the lighting for recording video announcements because now we're doing these like spoken video announcements that we record uh, the week prior. And I'm also getting to do a lot of like B-roll video from different sources, like small groups, that sort of things. Yeah, that uh, that's that's interesting because like the lighting, I thought I knew about lighting. There is so much I don't know. I love it. It's it's great. Like it, it's really cool when you get around like an expert on a subject because uh, especially when they're like, "Hey, I'm going to train you to do this." So they start teaching, and you're like, "I didn't even know that was a thing," and you realize there's this whole world of information you didn't even know existed. Yeah. And so, that's the best learning experience when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So what was really funny is I guess she told her boyfriend that she was training me because he's a friend of mine too. And uh, he's, he's texted me this afternoon and was like, Hey, so I heard you get to learn about, uh, about lighting stuff. And I was like, Oh yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> Cause he's also a photographer, videographer. So he knows all about it. And I was like, yeah, we're just talking about the the learning experience. It was neat. Fun to have those kind of people in my life that I can I can talk to about that with. And I also actually got to play around with some prisms with the camera. I was over at a friend's house and she was playing her keyboard and then another friend of ours was singing. And so I got this really cool shot. Like it's a video of the girl who was singing. And then I used the prism to reflect. Uh, my friend's hands playing the keyboard into the same shot. So it's it's really neat. And then there's another one where I have a shot of her hands playing the keyboard and I use the prism down at the bottom to reflect her face huh. there with it. So yeah, some just really neat stuff. That second one I mentioned, our creative director, who's training me on lighting, by the way, I, I turned that in as like, hey, you know, if you want to use this for some church stuff, you can. I was just playing around. She's like, she sent me a message later in the day and she had taken a picture of her computer screen and was like, this is really awesome. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, well, that's cool. That's cool. And so finally, under creativity, I am spending a lot of time, like all of my extra time practicing my guitar. I'm not sure if I've announced it on here or not, but I will be auditioning for our worship team at church this coming Thursday. So... That's that's really fun. I've got three songs I'm learning that I'll be playing with the team. I've never actually played with a full band, so that's kind of exciting. Saving money is hard, especially when you are overworked and out of balance. Lucas Casades is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, and just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, 
He focuses on helping you not only establish a real plan, but taking action on that plan so that you can live your best life. Yeah, and we're going to talk about it here in a minute, but you know, actually fixing your work-life balance is a feedback loop, and that's what Lucas helps you set up. Uh, when you invest in financial planning services, it really comes down to whether or not you can make the money back with the help of Level Up. And there's a compounding impact of making better financial decisions that will help pay for itself. Yeah. The really cool thing about Level Up is that they have a unique pricing model that's designed to help you no matter where you are in your career or in your financial journey. So if you are just starting out and, you know, maybe making that junior developer pay, you know, we've all been there. Lucas has a pricing model for you. If you're a senior developer who is looking at, hey, I need to start preparing for retirement, he's got a plan for you. He's also a fiduciary for his clients, which means he's not here to sell you a product, but to actually help guide you to a better financial situation. So you guys, you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers topics that you've probably faced and interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their careers. And you can learn a lot more at his website, levelupfinancialplanning.com. Being a workaholic is one thing. And frankly, it's overdiagnosed by you know online bro science experts, but you know whatever. But work life is something that a lot of people struggle with. Uh, we value our work and we often enjoy it. At least I hope you do. Furthermore, we often feel a sense of loyalty to our teammates. We're also often concerned that if we don't work more than expected, that we'll be first on the chopping block when the next round of completely inevitable layoffs happens. This is especially true for older developers who've been around the block a few times. Yeah. So when we talk about overwork, the first and probably most important thing to know is that the typical suggestion of, dude, just work less, doesn't actually fix anything. It's really a complex phenomenon arising out of a number of issues, such as insufficient staffing, poor planning, fear of losing your job, camaraderie with teammates, and, and along with that, a desire not to disappoint them, or even a misunderstanding of what constitutes good enough when it comes to work ethic. Uh, further, because overwork produces short-term gains um, at the expense of long-term mistakes, uh, it tends to create a feedback loop that causes you to have to work even more. Once you make a habit of working too much, the problems you create become reasons to stay a little later to get things done. See where this is going? Adding to this, more than likely your manager is aware of at least some of these problems, which increases your fear of getting fired if you were to cut back to a reasonable number of hours. If you don't want to quit your job to get away from being overworked, you're going to need a strategy to take these things into account. Fortunately, many bad work situations with inherent feedback loops would solve themselves if the feedback loop wasn't present. Overworking is one of those work situations that relies on a positive feedback loop in the engineering sense where you do something and it causes more of that thing to happen. Without bounds, that's a positive feedback loop. So not positive in the psychological sense, but like the engineering one, because that usually breaks. Plus sign positive. That's what you yeah. call it. Plus sign positive. If you can get rid of the inputs to this feedback loop, the actual problems start to become more tractable. However, if 
Instead, you decide to try to simply work your way out of being overworked, you'll be in an even worse situation afterward. The key to it all is very similar to a lot of the debugging that we do every day. You determine which of the inputs the system is causing a problem, and then you either keep the input out of the system or you modify the system to be tolerant of the input. So guys, in this episode, we'll discuss some of the things you can do when your work-life balance gets out of balance. Rather than telling you to just work less, we're going to give you actual practical advice to get things under control so that you can get back to your life without risking your job. And in the aftercast, we're going to talk about what overwork does to a team and as a manager, how you can keep employees from overworking themselves. Yeah, so the first thing you need to do to get this under control is you have to start tracking your time and your tasks accurately. Now, we all have intuition about where our time is going, and we might even be right. I would argue that almost never are we actually correct on that, but whatever. <laughs> the thing is, is if you don't do this, you can't really prove that things are better because you can't measure. Yeah. The goal here is to fix your work-life balance, not to constantly be trying to test out different ways to do it. You want to get this done and be done. Sometimes you have to figure out what the definition of done is. I mean, we've all had those conversations. Yeah, I think some of those conversations are honestly part of the reason people get overworked. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of where I was going with that. Yeah, <laughs> just the amount of time they take. Now, I will say measurement adds an interesting side effect uh, in that it changes your behavior. It, it's kind of funny because I've experienced this with weight loss. That's one of the why I'm a big proponent of the calorie tracking apps and stuff like that is because I've seen it in myself when I'm just doing, all right, I'm going to set the baseline here and I'm just going to figure out what where I am. I actually eat better when I'm doing that than when I have someone else setting the baseline for me yeah. without me knowing. And I've, I've noticed that, you know, everybody has a few of those just recurring tasks that you despise. You'll often find that you become more efficient at these tasks, especially um, because you realize how miserable they are and that makes you want to work more efficient and over less time doing them. Time spent on various tasks in your life is also a proof of the value of that task to you. In other words, their priority. Uh, you know, For instance, like you could tell a lot about somebody's financial priorities by looking at their bank statement. And you could do the same with all their priorities in general by looking at where they actually spend their time versus where they say they spend it. Yeah. Uh, I've seen that in a few various places. Like you can tell, was it you can tell a man's heart by where he spends his money and his time, something to yeah. that effect. But yeah. The other reason you want to do this is that you may be able to correlate how you feel on certain days with the activities you did on those days. I know. Will has talked about doing this in the past. Um, while this doesn't fix your work-life balance, it does give you the opportunity to choose more fulfilling work, which can make it easier for you to deal with a poorly balanced life when you have to. Well, it also makes it a little bit easier to get out of it, right? Because if you enjoy the work, that tends to be the stuff you're faster at over time. Not always, but like statistically speaking, probably 90% of the time. And that's a statistic I just made up. But it does feel that way. That's all right. 40% of st all statistics are made up on the spot. Yeah. Well, 
you know, like 90% of the time it works all the time. So, and in my case, uh, I found that doing a little bit of writing during the day actually makes me feel a lot better. So if, you know, if it's technical documentation, if it's architecture planning, those kind of things, uh, I will feel better about the work I do if I do some of that every day, just consistently, because uh, I actually kind of tracked that uh, a few years back and it made a huge difference. And now I actually seek that kind of thing out. Of course, with a podcast, you don't have to seek it out because it finds you. Uh, but Yeah, there's that. I like to do a little bit of learning every day. You know, if I spend just a little bit of time researching something or looking something up, I tend to have a better day. Oh, like non-work related stuff I do during the day is I'll sneak off and play my guitar when I'm like waiting on a test suite to run or like one of the longer builds. I'm like, all right, I got five minutes. I'll go play a song, you know, stuff like that. And that really helps. So, Next, start making your boss prioritize. If everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. A lot of people in management positions are constantly kind of in a firefighting mode and spend their time and as a result, their employees' time reacting rather than responding and creating. This is a remarkably ineffective way, just insanely ineffective way of doing anything and it results in overwork, burnout, and a lot of times in the eventual failure of the company. Yeah, because that tends to be an ideology that, you know, like it's not just your manager that has it. It's their manager up the line. And yeah, it, it'll destroy companies. I've, I know of one now that almost certainly is going through that just from things I'm hearing. While you can guess at what your priorities should be, if you're in a situation where you're overworked, it may be because you're not actually working on the right things. And part of management's role should be the determination of priorities. So you need to ask them. If they aren't determining what your priorities are, I'm not real sure what they're actually doing. It's also important to do this so that management understands how much of a workload you're under. It's easy in a management position at some companies to kind of be blissfully unaware of how many hours your direct reports are working. And putting a lot of pressure on them. Yeah, it depends on like where you are in the management structure too. Because if you're like in kind of that middle area where you're not approving timesheets, yeah, but you're putting pressure on people, then you may not know how much extra they're working and you don't have a way of tracking that. Yeah, and, and frequently it's not even considered your job even though you really need to know that. Honestly, even if you're a coworker, it's probably not a bad idea to know that just so that you can try to you know peer pressure people into not destroying their livelihood or their life with their workload because they'll destroy yours while they do it. Yeah. You know, you have to be sure when you discuss this to remember that the prioritization is about which business tasks are more important than other business tasks. Don't ever let the discussion shift to whether your personal life is set aside for business tasks after hours or not. Uh, managers that have a poor work-life balance will try to pressure you in that direction and you need to be very, very firm on that. Yeah, I remember having that that conversation back when I was, oh, way back when I was interviewing for jobs. And there's a few times I was like, yeah, nope. Yeah, and I and I didn't nope out of a few of them. Yeah. Back in the day, and that was that was definitely a problem where it's like, oh, well, you want to go 
You want to go home and eat dinner with your family at eight o'clock at night when you've been here since five this morning? Uh, don't you prioritize your work? Oh, uh, yeah. See, the answer to, to that would be no, I am not my work. I have other things that are higher priority than being here. This is just to make it so that I can do the things I want. They don't like hearing that in interviews. Even um, though it's the truth? Yeah. I don't suggest saying that in an interview, but yeah. I mean, I love my job. Don't get me wrong. And when I am there, I am there. Uh, and when I'm on call, that's a different story altogether, you know? But when I'm not there, you know, at the end of the day, I shut down my laptop and I leave it there. Yeah, I've gotten better about doing that the last few weeks. Every every now and then, I'll be like, and I'll, I'll do this sometimes on purpose where I'm like, all right, it's Friday. I took on this like harder story and I'm stuck on something. So I'll just like, all right, I'm done for the day. It's the end of the day. I'll pick it back up on Monday and inevitably, like I'll get some sleep. I'll hang out with some friends during the day Saturday and Saturday afternoon, the solution will hit me. Yeah. Sometimes it's Sunday and then you go afternoon. fix it. Yeah, and then you just got like you just got to hop on and fix it. I don't always do that. Sometimes I'll write it down if it's not like a really big thing. But if it's something where I'm just like I got to see if this works, I will jump on there and do it. Yeah, and I'll do that too. And I don't know that that's that unhealthy because for one, you're choosing to do it. Yeah. And you don't feel obligated. Also, if you have the solution in your head, it's probably faster to do it right now than to try to remember it tomorrow. Right. Yeah. I mean, like if you, if you work a couple hours on Sunday afternoon, getting something done, I don't think you should feel bad about leaving early a little bit or even just going, Hey, you know, I, I feel like I've got an hour bank here a little bit. I can leave 30 minutes early here and there if I need to, mm-hmm. or take a longer lunch or whatever. I, I feel like that's a lot more healthy than just directly tracking, you know, down to the minute in, in a lot of those cases. Um, even though I would still say track to the minute because yeah, I, I've had, I've had bosses that were very wanting to know where you are at all times kind of people. And yeah. then I worked for someone else who I was like, Hey, I've got a, I think it was like a dentist appointment. I've got a dentist appointment at this time. I'm probably just going to take off a little bit early and then I'll, I'll uh, work extra these two days. And he's like, thanks for telling me, but I really don't care. Yeah. He's like, like, if you're not getting your work done, then we'll talk about like your time management. But he's like, you're a professional. You manage your own time. Yeah. Well, I've even had a boss that did the thing of, I'm a professional, so I'm not managing your time because yeah. I have other stuff to do. <laughs> you know, like... I'm not interested in doing that. And that was kind of eye opening when it, when it happened. Yeah. Now, like, and I don't work for either one of those people anymore, but, uh, my current boss, uh, manager, whatever, I'll message her. If like, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago I had, um, a dentist appointment, like that I forgot about. And they sent me a message that morning, uh, saying, Hey, are you going to be able to make it to your dentist appointment at three o'clock today? And I was like, Oh God about that. So I'll message her and be like, hey, if it's all right, I'm going to take off a little early today for this dentist appointment. And she knows I'm going to make up the time. But yeah, I haven't heard anything. It's usually the response is, thanks for letting me know. And that's it. And it's more of a to let them know. Because also I tell the team and everything else. But, you know, it's one of those, hey, so they know what's going on. 
Yeah, because you don't want them calling you on Teams and trying to get you into a meeting. And you're just not there, right? Because people fill in the blanks for with whatever they expect. And so you yeah. don't want to change their expectation to something negative. Exactly. No, that's what I was getting out there. The next thing you need to do is you need to handle the time vampires. And this is something I didn't learn really as well as I needed to as early as I should have. But as you start tracking your time and trying to prioritize your tasks, you'll start noticing that there are low priority tasks or situations with other people that really chew up an exorbitant amount of your time compared to what you thought. Yeah, those can be either work related like or socially at work. Yeah, like I had a coworker that would come in and interrupt us uh, constantly with questions. You know, it's like, dude, you can look this up on Google. Like, why are you walking over here? And I would track how long the interruptions took because I was, I was like trying to fix my time management. And I, you know, ended up going to the, you know, upper management of the company and going, look, here's a breakdown of everything I worked on during the day, trying to fix my time management so I could be more efficient. But I'm like, dude, bro was in here 13 times before 10 o'clock in the morning asking questions. And, you know, he's, he's been coding longer than me and I'm old. So, you know, it's just kind of, you have to get a handle on that and start trying to deal with that problem. Yeah, I had a QA who was like that, and I did the same thing. I actually just documented every time he interrupted me for two or three days, took it to management. I'm like, it's amazing I'm getting any work done, to be honest with you. Yeah, like you ought to be proud of how good I am. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you think I'm good now? Just you know, fix this and see how much more I can get done. <laughs> fix this and get better coffee. And see, how much <laughs> we had a Keurig, so it wasn't that bad. I don't know. It feels like places that have that problem, though. Like the coffee's always bad. Hmm. I, I don't know. Like maybe we also that's had just a me. Starbucks in the building. So, I mean, if you want to talk bad coffee, yeah. <laughs> oh my! Burn offering to the coffee gods. <laughs> If you're working a crazy number of hours, you may also find that you're spending a lot of time on things that really aren't work-related. One of the consequences of working too much is that necessary life stuff ends up happening during work hours. Let's like I was talking about with the you know, the dentist appointment I forgot about. You know, we have we have those kind of things happen and it can it can eat away at it. And if you're if you start doing like we've talked about and tracking your time, you'll start noticing, hey, you know, I might get a lot more done if I, you know, started moving this stuff to the afternoon or things like that. Or if I, you know, stopped arguing with my spouse during work hours. <laughs> you know, like I've seen people that'll do that. They work like 70 hours a week and they're like, oh, this is ruining my marriage. And it's like like you're working 70 hours a week because you're arguing with your spouse half the day. Like if you just shuffle that time around, you might not have either problem and you wouldn't be irritating your coworkers. You'll also find that if you have low priority tasks that sneak in, you know, this is just a little thing that I, I have to do and it's not high priority, but I'm just trying to help Bob down the hall. Those tasks have a tendency to expand, to fill whatever time you give them. And this is partially due to there being no accountability for it. And it's partially due to the context switching that comes with this sort of stuff. But 
a half hour task that you didn't plan for that somebody just kind of slipped in can easily chew up four hours by the time you're done with it, like actually done because you know, you do some little thing and you know, Oh, that wasn't quite right. They come back 30 minutes later, you know, because it wasn't planned and wasn't structured well. And yeah, you'll lose a half day to it. Like, like seriously, I know there's people like completely balking at this, but track your time and watch. Yeah. You don't realize it because it's not all at once. And that's the thing. That's where a lot of these, these time vampires get you is they don't come in and say, Hey, I need, you know, three or four hours of your time. They come in and say, Hey, I need five minutes. You're like, Oh yeah, I can give you five minutes. That turns into 15 to 20. Then an hour later they come back and they're like, Hey, you got five minutes. And you're like, yeah, I can, I can spare five. That turns into 2025. And yeah, it just, it's a little, a little bit like, what is it? Uh, Death by a thousand thousand cuts. cuts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just a little, little bit, a little bit of the time. And these are typically people with poor work ethic or poor boundaries. You're going to have to be the one to set boundaries because the cost of these interruptions is basically the loss of your peace of mind. Yeah. Because you still have to get your work done Mm -hmm. and they'll chew up half your day and then you get to spend half your evening catching up or you know, if you work like a lot of people, you had to spend an extra hour or so, <laughs> but yeah. you know, but it's hard work. It is really destructive and you don't, until you actually see it, you won't have an appropriate reaction because you'll want to be nice. And then once you see it, people are like, Oh, you're a jerk. It's like, no, I, I just see clearly. Um, <laughs> the rain and, is gone. Yeah. And speaking of seeing clearly, uh, you need to focus on your work while you're at work and then turn it off when you leave. That That is key. You know, before attempting to fix your work-life balance, you need to fix your efficiency while you are working. Counterintuitively, one of the best ways to make this happen is to completely disconnect from your work when you aren't there. That actually have been mocked for the way I can just go, you know what? It's I, I usually end my day at 4.30. It's 4.30. I'm done. You know, and uh, it's from people who take their work home with them. Teachers that I know are like, how can you just like, it's done. I'm like, yeah, when I worked at the worked at the hospital, I ain't, I ain't taking psych patients home with me. <laughs> um, so, no, you just... There's so you many leave jokes it that can be made about that, but okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm like, you, you, you... Leave it there and you walk away and you don't think about it until you come back in. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it taxes you, right? Because you're, mm-hmm. you perseverate on it and you come back in and your, your ability to deal with the problem is not better because you didn't sharpen the saw while you weren't in. Yeah. And, you know, this, this only works well if you force yourself to stay focused while you're at work, you know, the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll have an observable decrease in your productivity that's probably not good. If you're already overworked, uh, the boss notices the mistakes. They probably don't notice the overwork. And and so dropping your productivity is not something you want to do right now. You may want to actually look into some of the productivity techniques. Uh, you know, I've had some degree of success with the Pomodoro, modifying the length of it. You may have to play with that a little bit. Like 25 minutes doesn't quite do it for me. Like that, it depends on what, what I'm doing. It depends on what into. I'm doing too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Sometimes it takes 25 minutes just to get started on something. 
Yeah. Find that stupid line of code in that Angular project. Yep. <laughs> Not that anybody here deals with that on the regular. You know, sometimes things are going to break after hours when you're not there to manage them. More than likely, your poor work-life balance has enabled things that should never have been allowed in the first place. Fixing these permanently is going to be your path to freedom. And watching them break is going to be your path to identifying them. Yeah. Because odds are good you don't know, or there's something that you're like, oh, that just takes a couple of minutes, you know, once a week, right? Like ASP.NET developers. Like, let's let's actually talk about this, right? Bouncing the app pool, right? Oh, I have to do that, you know, twice a week after hours. No, you don't. Like, you need a script to do this for you. And, and like, we all do it at some point. It's like, oh, I'll just pop on real quick and I can bounce the app pool because it's acting up and I happen to have, you know, my work laptop open and running right now where I can see the Teams window with all the messages going by, which I actually locked right before this call. So I don't see it for once. But like we do this all the time, right? And it's, I would imagine it's true for other frameworks. It, it's just a really quick thing that you got to do, but it, it, it chews up your time and breaks your attention. So you don't want to be doing that. Yeah, it, it's, you don't want to be doing that when you're at work and you don't want to be doing that when you're not at work. Yeah, but especially when you're not. <laughs> yeah, because you, I mean, honestly, when I, when I leave for the day, I shut my laptop down and I'm done. Unless I'm on call. That's, different story I, I do most of the time or if i'm like if i'm working on my own stuff i might leave it open uh sometimes but a lot of that's just so that prs can get through with my team we got one person that kind of works a little bit late and the others don't and so there's nobody to really look at prs so it's like okay well and this person does a lot of the work that i really don't enjoy so i want their stuff to go well so that i don't have <laughs> things i don't yeah. mess with it it's all the Angular code. <laughs> oh, of course, of course, would be. Alternatively, if you find that nothing breaks when you disconnect from work, then your reason for a poor work-life balance is emotionally based, right? Like if you're thinking, oh, it's all going to fall apart without me and you leave and nothing burps. Yeah, that's not real good, right? Um, but if you know this, uh, if you know that it's emotionally based instead of being a workload issue, it's easier to fix from the perspective of not ticking off people at work. It's probably going to be harder emotionally for you to fix personally, but like it's easier to get away with with other people. So next, stop working extra or too much extra. A lot of people take pride in their ability to work long hours. Uh, however, that tendency to overwork is a real risk to both yourself and your employer. While the health risks of working too much are pretty obvious, the business risk of overwork, those tend to be a bit more subtle. Yeah. Human beings and businesses respond to incentives. Now, they don't always do it quickly, but it happens eventually, right? Um, because you have to. Because everybody else is theoretically responding to incentives. And if you don't, you're not living in reality and you're going to get smacked by reality. Working an excessive number of hours as a salaried employee uh, means that the business suffers no consequences for inefficiencies because you're the one eating the cost. Now, the practice of overworking also throws off any estimates that management makes on previous data, especially if you don't realize that you work too much. I guess that really doesn't count if you track that overwork because then they'll know 
But I mean, the other thing is, is they're like, well, we're paying for 40 hours a week, but we're getting 60. And so there's nothing there that hurts them when they overdo it because they're not having to pay overtime. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's all free after that point. So if you're in the habit of covering missed deadlines using your personal time, not that either one of us have ever done that. Uh-huh. <laughs> not in a month it, or so. <laughs> it just makes the next estimate worse. I actually ran into this when we, at my previous job, when we first started working from home way before COVID, manager we had at the time was like, all right, I'm going to pioneer this, but I'm also not sure about it. So if you guys, you know, fail a sprint, you have to, everyone has to come and work from the office. Yeah. So that meant like if QA didn't get their job done, the whole team had to come in. And eventually that, that got, that went away, but that caused like, there were two developers on this, on the team I was on that caused the two of us to like work excessive numbers of hours. Yeah, because you don't want to have to drive. I mean, that, that has a financial cost. And especially when you have kids, you know, that's that's extra like aftercare or whatever for school. I mean, that's a chunk of change. But what what ended up happening is we got so burnt out with it after a couple of months doing this that we we both just decided, hey, because it wasn't either of us. It was it was QA at the time that was causing yeah. the delays. And we're like, you know what? We're not going to cover. We're just, we're like, we both were just so tired of like all the extra work. We just said, hey, you know, we'll work during our hours, but that's it. We're not working after hours. Like, it's not like getting to work from home is not worth this amount of stress. Yeah. Well, I mean, the point of it is, you know, I, I know a guy that wrote a book on it. Um, the, the point of it is to not, have that level of stress in your life, right? Like if you're just making your home stressful, that, that's not really an upsell. Uh, you know, I worked at a company where there were, there were, they proudly told us that they wrote up two employees for working more than 96 hours in a week. Um, and if you think about like the longer you think about that statement, the more insane that sounds, you know, you're writing them up because they're working too much and, more than 96 hours a week is is like that's your cutoff. And that by the way that company lied to their clients on the regular about stuff being done that wasn't started. And so like there was there's no end to how often that would happen. Now, when we talk about you know stopping the extra work, um this suggestion also implies that you let management know how much you're working and that you do so for a while before you start making changes, right? Like you don't want to go okay, I'm cutting back by you know, 20 hours a week, you know, I'm getting back down to 40 hours a week and, oh, I'm, I'm going to tell management after I've done that, like let them see the 60 hours a week and let them perhaps mention it a time or two and then kind of feel it out and go, okay, I'd like to cut back to 40 because this is pretty miserable mm -hmm. and then do it. Uh, you know, because one thing that this does for you is if they see that, Hey, his productivity dropped to like 5%, but he, you know, he cut his hours by a third. There, you know, it's a lot easier to sell that. Mm -hmm. So next, take time for maintenance activities, training, and breaks. This is important. Like I said earlier, I try to do a little bit of training, even if it's just going and reading a doc or something, just like a little bit of learning makes my day go by a lot better. But um, 
during work, you need to stop working on critical things every now and then and take time to actually handle maintenance activities. Uh, that doesn't mean like code maintenance per se, but things like, you know, biological necessities really will. That's, you know, a funny way of putting yeah, it. Uh, I mean, really, I've known people that, you know, that hold it in for like an hour and you're like, dude, if you got to go, like go, you, you know, you're, you're not going to get in trouble. And I don't know. I feel like a lot of people learn that in school that they're going to get in trouble for handling biological needs. And that's not realistic. Yeah. Oh, that's that is true. That is something that that schools kind of ingrain in you is like, oh, yeah, if you're sitting in class and I, I have to get over this myself because if I'm in a meeting and, you know. I'm like, you yeah, know what? Now, I'll try to if I have like a scheduled meeting or something go before, but if it's like, yeah, no, I'm going to just say, I'll be right back and go. Yeah. Well, I mean, my thing is if they have a problem with it, they're getting details. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, fix them real quick on that one. You know, but this can also include stuff like learning new tech or uh, taking a few minutes to actually just think about something else. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how much better that makes your actual work on occasion when you're, especially when you're just kind of wrapped around the axle on something, just not thinking about it for a couple of minutes will fix a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's why I, I moved my guitars into the office was so that when I was stuck on something, I could go back and play guitar. When I was in the office, I used to go for walks. And sometimes I'll take the dog out. That helps too. So, so failing to deal effectively with maintenance activities will make you less effective over time. Even just failing to clean and organize your workspace, don't say anything well, he can see mine, will often cost you an increasing amount of your time over time. No, it it does actually. I I do need to clean. I I haven't in quite a while. Basically, since uh since the summer, I cleaned it up this summer and haven't gotten back to it. So, but uh yeah, it's uh it it gets that way. Well, I mean, just like looking for a piece of paper, you know, that you have to have for something that's a distraction. Mm-hmm. And so you could have the like the second cleanest desk in the world, but it's not quite perfect, and so you may have wasted some time, possibly. Um, but if you have a really messy desk, it it adds up quick. Um, I've gotten a lot better about that as I've gotten older because I've realized like, hey, this is time that I'm burning at work and it ends up where I make it up after hours. So I'm like wasting my own time. Similarly, training on the correct things will pay off over time and make you more efficient. You might, however, elect not to tell management that you are uh, more efficient right now. Any extra productivity you have should be leveraged to either free up your time until you have a sane work schedule or should be put towards training to further improve your efficiency. Yeah, this is kind of the whole point of this exercise. It's, it's to make you more efficient at work. It, you know, the idea is to get enough efficiency so that your output doesn't drop while you're making your schedule sane again. If there's anything left over after that, then fine, let management know about it. But that's all they get. They don't get the whole thing and then expect you to work 60 hours a week more efficiently. Like, don't get into that loop. So next, start playing at your strengths at work. Most developers feel like they have to be good at everything and knowledgeable at everything. And that's just not realistic because nobody is actually good at everything. What? <laughs> <laughs> you just like pointedly looking at, looking at me. I'm like, okay, I know I'm the exception, but what do we? <laughs> you 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 had this look, and it, I didn't realize until you grabbed your wine that it was 
the look of intent, I'm going to grab my wine, but I, you had this look of, I have something hilarious to say. So I was waiting on you to say you're like hilarious whip, but you know, it just never came out. So, cause you weren't thinking that you were like intently looking. I was at looking wine. forward to my wine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So those are, I, those are very similar looks. Let me just say, you know, cause I think you enjoy those, uh, those quick one-liners almost as much as you enjoy wine. Almost. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, while we do typically suggest that you make periodic forays outside of your comfort zone, uh, doing so excessively probably isn't going to help you that much, especially right now. Uh, in particular, it's a really bad idea to do this when you're already overloaded with work because the stress will keep you from learning anything and the inefficiency will keep you from getting things done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is not the time to do that. There is a time to do that. And that is very important for your growth, but this is not the time for that. Yeah. It's explore and exploit, right? Like you, you can't explore new territory if you're going to starve to death while you're walking around. (laughs) Like you need to, you know, be efficient. So if, Instead of doing that, you play to your strengths. You can improve your efficiency and deepen your knowledge of the areas where you are an expert while also allowing others to do the same in their areas. This lessens the pressure on the whole team, slowing the feedback loop that leads to overwork. Uh, If management is making the assumption that everybody is equally skilled at everything or that you personally are equally skilled at everything, uh, it really throws off their resource allocation. And this makes it more likely that you and your team are going to get overloaded in the future because they're like, oh, well, they can do database stuff just as well as they can do front end. And like the the number of teams that are good at both and equally good at both is really, really slim. Uh, Another thing that we mentioned earlier, uh, clean up your workspaces. Now, cleaning your desk is the most obvious example of this, but it's not the only one or even the best one, especially if you work from home. Lingering, nagging problems are often ignored when people are overloaded and those problems add up and they make the overloading worse. Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons we suggest doing things that lighten your workload and free up your time while not being very obvious. Uh, It gives you time to fix this stuff rather than having management immediately use the extra time to roll out new features. Yeah, and that is what they'll do because that's in their interest. Like you fixing your workspace is not. Um, Now, this also applies directly to your code base. There probably are recurring things that you've noticed that slow you down regularly in your code base. Now is a good time to fix those. Don't ask, just do it. Um, Especially if you're in that file already, just kind of go ahead and and handle it and take the hit on testing. As long as you're getting your critical tasks done, Quiet process improvements will help you shift the overwork feedback loop in the opposite direction. Yeah. Now, it goes without saying that if your management won't allow you to spend any time at all on process improvement, processes are going to continue to get worse. Pull the cord on the parachute before impact. (laughs) That's what Will wrote in here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. Like, get out of there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll follow. Yeah. Next. Understand your chronotype and your peaks and troughs. And this is something we've talked about a little bit uh, several times. Uh, You should spend time trying to figure out when your optimal work times are, and more importantly, when they're not. 
if you're trying to do your best work at an inopportune time, it's not going to be your best work and it's going to take longer. Yeah. This can take some effort, you know, to, to really get this done. Will has a chapter in his book that talks about it as well. Trying to read the note he put here, we should talk, discuss this on the podcast. So, yeah. Yeah. It really should be an episode that we really get into like how to do that if we haven't already. We have an episode we've done on chronotypes. Have we? I, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all such a blur. Uh, either that or it was included in another one. I, I don't remember f- for sure, but I do know I did. I wrote that episode, so I remember writing it up. In short, though, you can figure this out by monitoring your energy levels and your desire to work during the day for a few days and compare that to what times you think are best suited to work. A lot of time people are wrong about this and adjusting it will really change your life. So I have like this weird, it's not weird, it's actually one of the chronotypes, but basically like I get up and beginning of the day, I'm not my best. That's why I like to have meetings at the beginning of the day. I'm an extrovert, so you know, yeah, it warms you up. Yeah. And so usually uh, after I've been up for a couple of hours, I start to hit a peak. And then like that, that peak will go for a little bit and I'll come back down and I'll hit a trough, which most of the other types, they have like a single peak and then a single t- time where they're at a trough. Whereas with mine, it's like we hit a peak, we come back down and then we hit another peak a little bit later. Yeah. You kind of have like a dead cat bounce later in the yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tend to have that. So, like, I have this peak, and I'm good till like around lunchtime, and then it hit a trough there, and then it picks back up around six or seven. Yeah, and uh, so what what I have actually done is I start going to the gym at lunchtime, and that like I don't know it energizes me, so I actually have like the energy to finish out the day. But I typically also try to have less demanding tasks in the afternoon. So I do my training and stuff. Yeah, you you should be doing your top priority, most difficult and most impactful work during your optimum working time. And by the way, don't do your most difficult, least impactful work like ever. <laughs> um, if you can avoid it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's true. So the final one, improve the way you estimate. Bad estimations will get you every time, and we're all terrible at estimating. If you're not, your estimation of yourself is also wrong. Yeah. The thing is, you need to pad your estimates. Three times is generally reasonable to deal with scope creep, unknowns, and the amount of interruptions. Yeah, although I'm, uh, I feel like that's almost too nice. Say yeah. 3X at this point. Like it was 3X in like the early 2000s when I had an office one person office and there was no like Slack, Slack, Skype or any of that kind of crap going on. Uh, now I'm, I'm like, man, it ought to be like nine X. <laughs> yeah. Cause when you estimate a lot of times what we're thinking about is the amount of actual typing time. We don't tend to think about like the, the problem solving, the time, the debugging time, the just sitting and thinking about it. And mapping oh, it crap, out. I got hit with a Windows update time. Yeah. Well, I wasn't, I was more talking about uh, internal processes like the, what? Yeah. Not even interruptions, which like that would be an interruption. I was thinking like, you know, the, because we don't think about interruptions, but what, what we don't think about is the time it's going to take to map it out mentally before I even start typing. Yeah. It's, 
I mean, we're almost like people that are overly academic when we do estimates as, as developers, it's like figuring out how many perfectly spherical cows will fit in a train. It's like, okay, that's great that you can figure that out, but there aren't any spherical cows. Um, so that's, you know, like your estimate is going to be wrong for reality because you're not basing it on reality. And, and we do that all the time with uh, code estimates. You'll also find that management uh, may ignore your estimates or they alter them to mean what they want to hear. I worked for a couple <laughs> of companies that were like, oh, you know, we tell them, hey, this is going to take nine months. Okay, can you have it uh, second week next month? And it's like the third week of the month already. And it's like, no, it's going to take nine months, not nine days. Okay, so like the week after that or, you know, like they'll, they'll hear what they want to hear. Um, you have an entirely different problem on your hands if that's what's going on because now it's not your estimate that's the issue. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Be especially careful about anything unknown at the time of making an estimate and don't allow other people to force you into committing to an estimate that is insufficiently detailed. Otherwise, you'll likely feel an obligation to overwork to get things done. I remember I was in a meeting and like some upper management person asked like how long I thought it would take to get that done. I was like, I have no clue because there are no acceptance criteria. There's like, you just said, Hey, we want you to build the thing. How long will that take? Like, I don't know. I don't know what goes into the thing. I have no clue about how long it would take to do this because I don't have near enough detail about it. And but I didn't have to say anything because like I said, this was upper management. So like my director was in that meeting and he went off on them. Like, you cannot ask that. Like that one, that is not his responsibility to do. And you need to go through me. And oh yeah, it was like this whole thing. <laughs> you need to I'm give like, him a pay raise because that yeah. makes it management. Like, do you not realize the problems you're causing? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, like, I got some mad respect for you. But yeah, he yeah. did. Well, I, like I look at surprises like that. It's sort of like rakes when you're running through a yard. <laughs> if there's one, it ruins your day. If there's if there's not one, then your estimate is correct. But like it never speeds you up. <laughs> it usually hurts. As soon as you start realizing that you're not going to hit a deadline, pardon the pun, uh, no matter what you do, uh, or without overworking, you need to let management actually know. Uh, waiting until the last minute has worse consequences and is likely to make you accept bad ideas like crunch time. Yeah, I, I've said this before, but I've worked for several people who, if you told them, as soon as you found out, hey, we're not going to make a deadline, it wasn't a problem. But if you waited to the end and you're like, hey, we worked really hard, but you know, we just weren't able to get it, and you knew back then that you weren't going to be able to like it was some someone else not doing their job or like oh hey we have to wait on this resource that you know we're just not going to make it we'll just tell them when we get there hey we had to wait on this resource uh-uh like you tell them as soon as you know that because they got people to report to too yeah so guys a poor work-life balance is corrosive to your quality of life Not only does it chew up time and attention for the things that actually do matter to you, but it destroys your health and your enjoyment of life in general. Even more insidious, it often contains a feedback loop that causes it to perpetuate itself. This can stymie any effort you make to fix the problem. 
However, if you understand that you're dealing with a feedback loop instead of a linear system, it becomes easier to fix. Provided, of course, that you acknowledge the feedback loop and do things to reduce its power until the problem is in control where you can manage it. That pretty much wraps us up. Beej, what do you have this week for us for Tricks of the Trade? Well, before we get into Tricks of the Trade, I just want to give you a little applause for the vocabulary in uh, in that close. That was impressive. Like insidious, perpetuate, stymie. I mean, I'm like... Those are all dude. my favorite bands. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it sounds about right. They do sound like band, band names, don't they? So guys, <laughs> what I want to talk about is something that I have an issue with. Uh, when I when I went through this, it was the first thing that popped in my mind. There's another one. Um, I just decided to go with this idea because it is uh, the one that I deal with mostly. And that is work is not the only place where you can find yourself overextended. School, no. friends, family, <laughs> church, hobbies, all sorts of things. Podcasting can slowly take up more and more of your time. And if you're not careful, you'll end up having a good work balance but be overwhelmed with everything else. Now, it's perfectly fine to be busy. I am a busy person. I don't like sitting still. Um, you know. However, you need to be able to take time for yourself and get some rest. Uh, it takes a little bit of effort. Trust me, I've had to do this myself. And sometimes overdoing it once or twice or going to med school, basically the same thing, to determine where your limits are. You really want to know where your limits are? Spend a semester in med school. You'll find out just how how far you can push yourself. I think the military does that too, but it's more physical. This is more like, yeah. Anyway, once you know your limits or at least have a good idea, uh, try to stay below, like fairly well below um, how far you can push yourself. That'll allow you some space to change or if anything unexpected happens, you're able to accommodate it. Personally, I have a really bad habit of liking to ride just below my limit where I'm like, all right, I'm not overwhelmed. I can get all this stuff done. It's just going to keep, you know, like, and then something goes wrong or something goes good, but something changes and I don't have capacity to deal with it. So yeah, yeah. it's like, we know where your red line is because that's where you are. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So guys, uh, that uh, is pretty much all I've got. Don't forget to check out the aftercast where we're going to talk about what overwork does to a team and how you as a manager or a lead can keep your employees from overworking. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at complete dev pod, like our page on Facebook and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.